Texas officials say 10,000 people have been bused to Democratic cities. Local city officials said Chicago has so far received 364 people from the Texas border, many of whom are awaiting hearings on asylum claims. We have yet to hear from anybody in an official capacity from Texas. That's unacceptable. Now, local health care workers say many being dropped off in Chicago are traumatized and need both immediate care and ongoing attention once they get settled. Much of the care, they say, could have been received in Texas prior to travel. And the McPlant was Chicago-based McDonald's bid to tap into the plant-based protein market. But the world's largest burger chain ended a test in late July with no indication it'll roll out the McPlant nationally. I'll talk about it with Crane's reporter, Ali Moradi. When I was reporting on this in the past couple of years, I've seen that a quarter of Americans are trying to cut back on their meat intake as well, you know. But this economic study found that only 3% of consumers said that a plant-based menu item would be the first thing that they buy. I'm Amy Guth, and this is Crane's Daily Gist for Tuesday, September 13th. At Wintrust Community Banks, you're more than just another account number. No matter your stage of life, Wintrust's dependable bankers are as dedicated to your financial success as you are. After three decades of serving communities across Chicagoland, Wintrust has built its reputation on exceptional customer satisfaction and a strong local presence. That's why Wintrust is proud to be ranked number one in customer satisfaction in retail banking in Illinois by J.D. Power. Visit Wintrust.com slash J.D. Power to learn more about Wintrust's award-winning banking experience. Members FDIC. For J.D. Power 2022 award information, visit JDPower.com slash awards. I'm joined by Crane's reporter, Ali Marotti, here to talk about, well, McDonald's, because we have not quite checked in about McDonald's for a while, and that is a company that is always on your radar. But recently, you have done some reporting about the McPlant, which is their plant-based protein burger. There was, I feel like, so much lead up to the McPlant, because there were so many questions kind of swirling around about what's McDonald's move going to be? What are they, the same thing with the chicken sandwich wars. It was kind of like, What's their move going to be? And they seem to be really carefully weighing their options. And then they, they came out with this. And where are we now? Yeah, you're, you're exactly right, Amy. You know, McDonald's is never a first mover on anything. You know, they're so big, they usually let other people kind of take the lead. And experts are telling me that in this case, that may have come back to bite them a bit. So Burger King came out with its impossible Whopper before McDonald's rolled out its McPlant burger. They were kind of the first. They were. Yeah, that was in 2019 that they rolled theirs out. And it's, you know, it's still on the menu. A lot of these places, it's hard because they don't break down the sales data for these specific menu items. Burger King, for example, has talked about how well the Impossible Burger did out of the gate. And it is still on the menu. They announced this summer that they're rolling out a few more burger options with that Impossible Burger patty. Um, So... You know, it's also on the value menu there. You can get a, you know, two for six or something like that. And experts say that could be problematic. That could be a sign that there are issues, but it also could just be a sign that it's more of a permanent menu fixture. Mm -hmm. So in McDonald's case, you know, they started testing their version. It's called the McPlant. They started testing it first, a version of it in Canada a couple of years ago. They called that one the PLT for plant lettuce and tomato. 
which also like the McPlant, it's a patty developed by Beyond Meat, which again is a competitor to Impossible. And the McPlant test began in eight restaurants, just in Texas, Iowa, Louisiana, and California late last year. And then in February, it expanded to about 600 locations around San Francisco and Dallas, Fort Worth. So that's sort of where we saw it first hitting, you know, stores at at a bigger clip. And they ended the tests in July, late July. They said that it was ended as scheduled. They say that it could still roll out more broadly, but they also have not given any indication that it would roll out more broadly. And I recall at the time before they they started this test, part of the question was who could really handle that kind of capacity for McDonald's? Right. Yeah, that was a big question. And with McDonald's, they're so huge that there's always an issue with the supply chain, you know, or not an issue, but a question of how are we going to do this? How are we going to get our ducks in a row? There's a story that a lot of experts tell. People have brought it up to me multiple times in interviews about when they rolled out the blueberry muffin and it just moved the whole entire blueberry supply chain around in the U.S., you know? Wow. Yeah, it's kind of funny to think about, right? But they're a huge company. They've got tens of thousands of locations. So it is something to consider, right? And so in this case, they partnered with Beyond and Beyond developed this patty specifically with McDonald's. You know, it's not just a generic Beyond patty, like the ones you can buy in the grocery store to cook on your own grill. So they formulated it specifically to taste like a McDonald's burger, I believe. And that's something that experts have told me is really important. And, you know, these alternative meats and these fake meats that are rolling out here, that are kind of engineered to taste just like meat, right? They say that it's very important for consumers if they're going to adapt it, if we're really going to move the needles with sustainability to have, you know, it really emulate the taste of real meat. So it's really kind of two challenges, right? There's the make it taste like a burger at all, but then also make it taste like a McDonald's burger or make it taste like a Whopper or, you know, whatever place kind of, does it fit the flavor vibe of that menu that that's those are two very big challenges totally and it's interesting too actually kind of along the tasting line of things right this is a burger that is prepared on the same grill as meat Mm. it has cheese it has mayonnaise you know it's it's similar to some of their other burgers in the shape the bun's the same they do that on purpose because there's this whole issue around kind of the assembly line inside mcdonald's you know They want to get people through the line quicker. That is the ultimate goal. Throughout COVID, they've simplified the menu and it has worked really well. In fact, sales have gone up because of that. You know, they got rid of salads. They got rid of all day breakfasts. Franchisees love that because they've seen that actually we don't need these items on the menu that don't sell very well. We do better without it because we can get people through the line quicker, which is basically the ultimate goal of every fast food restaurant in the world, you know? Sure. A question with this was, is it going to slow down kind of that food assembly line that's going on behind the scenes in a McDonald's location? Unknown if it ended up doing that or not, you know, but I think there's something to be said for who the sandwich was targeting. Because if it's cooked on the same grill as meat, it's not you know, going to be your diehard vegans or vegetarians. It's going to be somebody that maybe is thinking about just cutting back on their own meat intake, likely because they're concerned about the environment, they're concerned about their own health, that sort of thing. So it's it's really an interesting kind of niche that they had to market to and a certain customer that they had to draw in with this. And what about other markets outside the U.S.? Do they have a, a plant-based option that they've tried there? 
They do. Yeah, I mentioned that this was originally tested in Canada. Um, they do have this, uh, the McPlant specifically, as a permanent menu item in several different countries around the world. You know, in, sorry, let me say that again. I forgot which countries it was. Sorry, Todd. Um, they do. They do have this as a permanent menu fixture in the UK, Ireland, and Austria. In Chicago, the sandwich is sold at the Global Menu Restaurant at McDonald's headquarters in the West Loop. You can still get it there. It's $5.99 before tax. So they have that there, though, not as a test. They have it because, you know, it's a, the restaurant has offerings that are on different menus around the world there, which is kind of fun. So if you do want to try it in the Chicago area, that's kind of the place to go right now. To my knowledge, that's the only place that it remains on a menu in the U.S., so for now, the test has come to its end. What's next? Is it coming to menus? Do we wait and see? What's that going to look like? That's a great question. One that McDonald's will not answer. You know, but they do take time typically after they do a, a market test like this to, if they decide to roll out the menu item more broadly, it takes time. For example, the crispy chicken sandwich, they did tests of that in 2019 and rolled out the product nationwide in February 2021. So you can see there that more than a full calendar year passed. You know, CEO Chris Kempsinski has indicated that he's not giving up on the plant. He's repeatedly said that when customers are ready for the McPlant, they will be ready for them. So, you know, it could be an issue of whether the market was ready for it, whether it wasn't ready for it. Maybe sales went great and they're just not saying, you know, there was a few experts that kind of did a man on the street type of research, went to different franchisees and talked to them. And it was, you know, mixed results. Some said they were only selling three to five sandwiches a day. Some said it was 20 a day. Either way, a lot of experts have hypothesized that that wasn't enough to make it financially viable to have this new menu item on the menu. Well, we've talked about Burger King and, and how the Impossible Whopper is just kind of part of the menu now for sure. Burger King was so early to that. But, but later on, other restaurants that added plant-based items, you know, Subway and Dunkin' and a couple of other places announced that they were going to start experimenting with that. Have they struggled or have they, how has that looked for them? That's a great question. You know, a lot of these fake meat plant-based alternatives did roll out on menus. Some of them have come out in limited time. You know, we've seen some at KFC, for example. The Dunkin' Donuts one is sort of a, um, an example where, you know, it was at thousands of stores and they ended up peeling it back to hundreds of stores. So it is still on the menu some places. But again, some of those have been victims of this menu simplification that I mentioned that has gone on during the pandemic, where basically, hey, let's trim down the menu and keep only our best sellers on there. You know, another one that has been considered pretty successful is White Castle. They have uh, Impossible Foods version of their sliders. And experts say that it's likely because of the low price. You know, it's less than $2, just like the regular sliders are. Whereas this McPlant at McDonald's, it's priced a little bit higher. You know, at the global menu restaurant, it's $5.99. That outpaces the price of a quarter pounder, for example. Not by much, but still in such an inflationary environment that we're dealing with right now, people are already going to McDonald's for a value. They're even at McDonald's beginning to trade down to cheaper menu items, gravitating towards kind of the value menu there. So experts say that it was probably likely hard for McDonald's to get customers to pay a little bit extra for a new item that they weren't quite sure if they would like or not. I have to also imagine, and this is just kind of me speculating here, but 
right before the pandemic, it seemed like a lot of reporting indicated consumers were really doubling down on, on wanting some very healthy menu items. They really wanted to know more about their food and where it came from. Pandemic hits, it was all about kind of convenience, right? And the snack food, We, I know you did some reporting on that of the foods that we were all eating when we were first at home during the pandemic. I wonder though, if there's the consumer push to maybe some people trying to eat less meat, but at the same time, I wonder about the challenges with marketing plant-based protein, because that's a big category that can mean a lot of different things. Totally. Yeah. A lot of consumers don't understand it. It's not something that's easy to explain, like potentially a bean burger, you know, or something like that, that I think consumers are used to seeing when it comes to vegetarian options, because, you know, the Impossible Burger really kind of formulated and created, they use this molecule that helps emulate meat, the taste, the texture. It's new to consumers, and it's going to take a lot for these restaurants, the fast food chains, to market it to their customers and also figure out who that customer is, like I mentioned. You know, at McDonald's, that restaurant is not a big magnet to vegetarians and vegans. You know, largely they avoid the restaurant because they don't agree with what it stands for being the largest burger chain in the world. So you have to think about who the customer truly is there. Is it somebody that's trying to cut back on meat and it just ends up at McDonald's because they're with a group of friends and they're happy to see a vegetarian option on the menu? Or is it a parent who took their kids there? Maybe they're trying to sneak some plants into their kids' diet or save their burger allotment for the week for the Friday night cookout, you know. Because this wasn't tested here in Chicago, I didn't get to see firsthand what the marketing looked like, what the advertising was for these burgers. So I think it'll be interesting to see if they do end up doing any more tests or roll it out any more broadly to see exactly who they're targeting. You know, there there is a market for plant-based burgers. Um, market research firm Technomic has done studies on this, and they found that one-third of customers said they would try a plant-based menu item. One-third is a lot. Yeah, that's a lot. When I was reporting on this in the past couple of years, I've seen that a quarter of Americans are trying to cut back on their meat intake as well, you know. But the Technomic study found that only 3% of consumers said that a plant-based menu item would be the first thing that they buy. Interesting. Yeah. I mean, it's, they're there, but it could just be a niche menu item. And right now, it seems like there's not a big spot for niche menu items on, you know, a lot of these fast food places menu boards. So we'll have to see what happens. It seems like an interesting time to try to introduce new items, even if consumer demand is there. If there's this push to really simplify menus, it could be really tricky. You're exactly right. And there is, you know, a school of thought out there that people that go to McDonald's are used to seeing new menu items roll in and roll out and roll back in with little changes. They do a lot of limited time offers. They do a lot of you know, we're only going to have this once a year, like the Shamrock Shake, for example. Or the McRib. People always go nuts on social media when the McRib is back. Right. Or they'll bring back sauces that haven't been on the menu since the 90s, that sort of thing. So I wouldn't be surprised, too, if we see this coming back in some sort of capacity that way. Experts tell me that, you know, McDonald's needs a plant-based menu item, a plant-based staple menu item. Yeah. that they're offering to help them meet sustainability goals. But also consumer sentiment is only going to go more towards plant-based in the future, I'm told. Um, you know, So they'll want to be there, like the CEO has said, when the consumers kind of move in that direction. Sure. Well, thanks so much, Ellie. Always a pleasure. Yeah, thanks for having me. Coming up, Cresco Labs completes another sale leaseback deal to free up capital. 
This deal with Aventine Property Group provided $45 million to Cresco to reinvest in the company's overall growth. We'll talk about that and more right after this. The Greater Chicago Food Depository is facing elevated need right now. Food insecurity is above pre-pandemic levels with decade-high inflation making it even harder for our neighbors to afford groceries. And families with children are at greatest risk of hunger. Inflation and hunger affect us all because only a hunger-free community can truly be healthy. Let's rise to the challenge, Chicago. Please support the Greater Chicago Food Depository now by visiting chicagosfoodbank.org. This is the Crane's Daily Gist with Amy Guth. Texas officials say they have transported more than 10,000 people to Washington, D.C., New York City, and Chicago since April as Texas Governor Greg Abbott seeks to put pressure on the Biden administration to help alleviate the impacts of what he's called a surge in international border crossings in the state. As reported by Bloomberg, Abbott said Friday that in the past five months, the state of Texas had bussed more than 7,900 people to Washington, D.C., sent 2,200 to New York City and more than 300 to Chicago. We have yet to hear from anybody in an official capacity from Texas. That's unacceptable. We're talking about human beings' lives who have themselves gone through an incredible journey just to get to the United States. Bloomberg noted that the people, many of whom are awaiting hearings on asylum claims, generally request to be put on the buses so they can join friends or family in those areas. However, Crane's John Asplund reported that Chicago healthcare workers now say they're seeing traumatized patients who will need long-term support coming off of the buses locally. The city of Chicago's Department of Family and Support Services said in an emailed statement on Saturday morning that the city of Chicago has so far received 364 people from the Texas border, including 90 who arrived late Friday. A team of city health officials, staff at federally qualified health centers, medical clinics, and social service agencies are working to address the immediate health care needs of those arriving and to come up with a longer-term plan for what could be thousands of people. According to an earlier statement from the city of Chicago, upon arrival, patients are being, quote, provided immediate shelter and supports to meet their basic needs. The statement also said that arrivals will also receive in-depth case management and connections to services from city, state, and community-based agencies. For more details on this story, visit chicagobusiness.com. Yardbird, a southern restaurant with roots in Miami Beach, is preparing to open its first Chicago location this fall in River North. Ali Maradi reported that the restaurant is slated to open at 530 North Wabash, a space that was previously occupied by P.F. Chang's. The Chicago Yardbird will be the brand's seventh location. Maradi noted that when it opens, the River North spot is set to have a bourbon room on the second floor, an exposed kitchen, and indoor and outdoor seating. In addition to Miami, Yardbird has locations in L.A., Dallas, D.C., Vegas, and Singapore. An eighth location is also planned for Denver. Maradi also noted in reporting that pandemic changes have caused a shift in where people dine as more people work from home and opt to stay in their neighborhoods for happy hour or dinner. Convention and business dining also reportedly hasn't returned to Chicago restaurants in full force. Regardless, the restaurant scene in River North is rebounding, Maradi noted, and the commercial real estate market in the neighborhood is stabilizing. According to a report from Chicago-based retail brokerage Stone Real Estate, the neighborhood's retail vacancy rate fell to 19.3% in 2021, down from 22% a year prior. 
Rolls-Royce has pulled out of consideration to make jet engines for Boom Technologies' proposed supersonic aircraft, dealing a blow to prospects for a next-generation Concorde. Bloomberg reported that the British engine maker worked with Boom on a conceptual study for the Overture program, but said in a statement on Thursday that it wouldn't do any more work on it. Boom said it had become clear that the Rolls-Royce proposed engine design and legacy business model was, quote, not the best option for Overture's future airline operators or passengers. The firm said it plans to announce its selected engine partner later this year for its plans for a new generation of high-speed jets by the end of the decade, aiming to fill the void in super-fast transatlantic travel left when Concorde stopped flying in 2003. Chicago-based United Airlines placed the first order for Boom's Overture in June of 2021, agreeing to buy 15 of the planes in a deal valued at $3 billion at list prices. United also took options for 35 more planes. American Airlines placed a firm order for 20 of the jets last month. But as Bloomberg also noted, supersonic travel is also a more difficult proposition as the industry as a whole looks to become more sustainable. And supersonic flights generally generate significantly more carbon. Boom's Overture aims to carry 65 to 80 passengers at speeds of Mach 1.7, or almost twice the speed of sound, over water with a range of 4,250 nautical miles. Green Market Report, a Crane's sister publication, reported that Chicago-based Cresco Labs recently completed another sale leaseback arrangement, this time with Aventine Property Group for a facility in Pennsylvania, from which Cresco gained $45 million in cash. According to a news release, Cresco sold a 135,000-square-foot cultivation, manufacturing, and processing warehouse in Brookville, Pennsylvania, to Aventine. The property will be leased back immediately through Cresco's subsidiary, Cresco Yeltra LLC, so that operations can continue without interruption. Cresco CEO Charles Batchel said in the announcement that the deal, quote, further strengthens our company, unlocking valuable capital from our balance sheet. Cresco has entered into at least five other sale leaseback deals with innovative industrial properties, which purchased facilities and leased them back to Cresco in Massachusetts, Michigan, Ohio, as well as here in Illinois. That's Crane's Daily just for now. Check in on our continuous news feed at chicagobusiness.com. Thanks so much to today's guest, Crane's reporter, Ali Marathi. You can follow all of our conversations on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you like to get your audio on demand. Don't forget to subscribe and please rate and review Crane's Daily Gist. Our show is produced by Todd Manley at Earsight Studios. I'm Amy Guth. Thanks so much for listening, and I'll meet you right back here next time.